where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Morning, you're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. Might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast. It's easy. It's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, and YouTube. Then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and hopefully BitChute. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's roadtoconcord.com. That's where you find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at theroadtoconcord.com. He's a little slow, but he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them, Joe. Yeah, he's an acquired taste. Yeah, what is that? Wasabi coffee? Yeah. Wasabi black hey, coffee. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. you soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Good morning. It's Worship Wednesday. We're going to be wrapping up our short little series on uh, Bible basics today. Just want to go over a few things with you, um, you know, words of caution and some encouragement, wrap up everything we were trying to do with this. It, you know, it was never meant to be a long series. It's Bible basics. But before we get going, um, just a little quick word on what's going on in the Rumble chat room here. Some of y'all got my AI all excited when you were talking about milk and honey on the on the counter at the bar, at the Hebrews barista bar. So she's not functioning well now. She's dreaming about honey and sugar I, and milk I and her coffee. coffee. What? Oh, sorry to interrupt, but um, I, you, you do realize I am powered by coffee, yes? Yes, we know this. Okay. Caffeine-powered Furby. I don't know where you're getting the Furby from. Furry, then? I, no. No. <laughs> See? Our AI is really easy to get confused. You just show her some coffee, tease her with some cream and sugar, mention a furry, and she melts down. We're going to have to work on never... that, Charlie. So <clears throat> I know you didn't just shut me up. I didn't do that. <laughs> Charlie did it. I didn't yes, he did. I didn't do nothing. All right. Let's get to work here. <laughs> Sorry, folks. The uh, the pre-show was entertaining again. Um, Road Dog still owes Charlie a paper, and we're not accepting the fact that your cat ate it again. Um, <laughs> all right. Wrapping up Bible basics. Folks, um, for those of us who are believers, you know, scriptural, you know, rule book, right? Yahweh. Because... I've run into this before, folks who are well-meaning, good. I mean, I don't question their faith or their sincerity, but they have given me a hard time when I say that there are other gods. And I'm like, Bible says there are. And they're like, there's only one God. Yes, I understand that. But the English word for Elohim is God. 
And the Bible says there are other mighty ones, other Elohim, other beings that live in the heavenly realm, the spirit world, and they have names and it never treats them as though they're non-existent. It treats them as though they're pretenders, fakes, wannabes. What the heck was that? Charlie's playing with the computer. Our tab didn't automatically mute on the YouTube channel. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Um, we're we're having a little fun over here. Um, but the Bible never treats these other gods as though you know they don't exist. It, it treats them as very real. So we should too, because it, whether we like it or not, Satan, we you know Satan, we don't treat him as imaginary. Not if you're a believer. He's an Elohim. Well, the English word for that is God. In the New Testament, it says he is the God of this world, right? Remember? So we're going to pay attention to what the scriptures actually say. Today's going to be kind of a low-key day, just set back. I don't have a lot of slides. I don't have slideshows. I don't have a lot of visual for you. I just want to talk to you real quick. Probably won't make an hour today. This is just meant to be a word of caution for believers, especially if you're going, you know, if we're just wrapping up our Bible basic class here, several words of caution and some encouragement. Um, it's something that you don't often get from me, but you know, I am capable of it. It's just, I got to be careful with it when I'm too happy, happy, joy, joy, or too encouraging or too upbeat and too optimistic. I get messages from classmates going, okay, where is Joe Bakanovic? What did you do with him? I will come get him. You know, we will come look for him. Because, you know, y'all guys aren't used to that from me. But today, yes. First things first. We got to understand. We've gone through. This is the rule book. And we can pretty much trust it. That it's been handed down faithfully through time. There are a few things here and there. But thanks to the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint, God, Yahweh, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's his covenantal name. He gave us ways to correct all of this mess. And we've got faithful brothers and sisters, scholars, who have been running around throughout history, digging up all the old books and tomes and scrolls and parchments and everything, helping us do this. Correct it. Make sure it's, you know, that we get all the little boo-boos out of there best we can, best we understand it. And then, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls come up, show up, and look, hey, look, we've pretty much done it. So we can trust it. So the first thing's first. When we're wrapping up, what do we need to be doing here? Well, scriptures tell us, seek a relationship with the creator, with your creator, but know him in the proper order. First and foremost, you know, I know, yeah, he's, he's the creator, but he presents himself as a king. And now you have to have that ancient understanding. We've covered that in the Bible basics. You know, one of the first shows, you got to look at this from the sandals of an ancient Hebrew. So the creator is king first. He's the father. He presents himself as a father. So he's a king and father. This is where, you know, compartmentalization is important. So if you were a royal child, you still had to treat dad as the king. So do we. And then we have a brother in the Messiah. And we know that Messiah is Yahweh in some way, shape, or form. So he is the king, our father, and our brother. And finally, he's our friend. Well, what do you mean friend and becomes after brother? Y yes, because he's a royal brother. You know, he's a head prince. He's a prince above us. We're not part of the natural family here. We're grafted in, whether you're Jew or Gentile. Even the Jew is grafted in. Okay. We, we all gain our inheritance through the son and the son's work. 
on the cross and everything else he's done for us through his gospel message, whether you're Jew or Gentile, Christian, Jewish, doesn't matter. Everybody gets into the family the same way through the Messiah. And yes, even Jews. No, it's the law of Moses, Joe. You haven't read the Torah. Jews are waiting on the Messiah. They just don't recognize that he's already come once, but they're waiting on the same Messiah to restore everything. Same Messiah. Their faith is in the same Jesus. They just didn't recognize him. Okay, so that's the basics. We got to seek friendship. But first, he's the king. He's the boss. Second, he's our father. Father's the boss too, right? Guides us, teaches us, corrects us. Third, he's the brother. So, you know, but he's an elderly brother. He's the prince, the chief prince. And finally, he's our friend. The other thing we need to learn to do, and just, this is not the easy part. This is, this gets tougher. Trust him. Trust his promises. Treat them as though they've already happened. Just make sure you understand what those promises are and how they've been promised. Don't, don't set up a false expectation in your mind, but trust his promises and walk your life, live your life as though they have already happened. That's biblical faith. That's a Hebrew understanding of biblical faith. Just, you know, he's going to keep his word. Also, heed his warnings. He didn't give them to us for no reason. As the king, he's laid down the law. As the father, he's going to guide us and love us and care for us and say, do not break the king's laws. King has no choice but to enforce them. Otherwise, he's not the king. So even though he's the same individual, this is how if you're a king in the ancient times and you have a son, you're acting as the king when you're on the throne. You lay down the law as your son's father. You will tell them later, don't break my ordinances. I cannot. I, I love you. You're my son, but there's nothing I can do about it. I got to keep the ordinances. Well, otherwise, I'm not king. So that's the father in him. Heed his warnings because his son warns us too. His son gives us the same warnings in the New Testament. He says, hey, be careful. Keep my father's commandments. Keep his word. Keep his teachings. And then we need to do his will, his work. If we're going to be part of the royal family and we're going to partake in the inheritance of the kingdom, now we have a job in that kingdom. We've got a role to play. That's what your spiritual gifts do. They equip you to do that job. And the king expects his subjects to do their job. Our father expects his children to do their job in the house, which in this case is the kingdom. Our elderly brother expects us to help him get that work done. We're his brother. We pal around as friends when the work is done. So this is, you know, this is the mindset. Seek a personal relationship with him. How do you do that? Well, the main way we do that is through study in his word, his scriptures. We'll get to the Holy Spirit in a little bit. But you have to make this a habit. It takes time. It goes against our earthly, fleshly inclinations. Um, you got to train yourself to do this. And the scripture tells you, teaches you, train yourself to, to do these things. Discipline. You know, um, bend the flesh, as the scripture would say, to your will. Teach your, your fleshly side, your animalistic earthly side, to do what you want it to do. So study Yes, Arctic tortoise, clean your room, do your chores, and help out where is needed. Yes, do the Father's work. 
So it's an important way of studying his words, studying the scriptures. That's one of one of probably almost the most important way. There's one more, one more that's more important. We'll get to it in just a second, but this is probably the second most important way of showing our love for the father and the son tied for a second, maybe doing what you learn probably is, but there's one thing more important. We'll get to that in just a moment, but you need to study his word and listen to its guidance. That's this, this is what Torah really is right here. This is Torah. This is the Hebrew. And then you have different levels of teaching. You have the teaching of the law of Moses. You have the teaching of what, you know, the covenants with Abraham, the teachings of the covenants with Noah, the covenants with Adam, up the, all of this is nested. It's like a Russian nesting doll. You have Torah within Torah within Torah. And then the New Testament, which should better be called the New Covenant, comes along and then says, okay, this is how you ex- understand the whole of the law and the prophets, which would be the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, or covenants, because there's more than one in there. And some of them carry forward into the New Covenant. It says so if you know what you're reading. But this is all why we study the scriptures. Listen to its guidance. And it helps to, if we actually make time to read his word. Read and study, because those are not the same things. Reading it is one thing. Studying it is another. I might be able to read an entire book of the Bible tonight. I might not study more than two passages or one passage in it. Studying requires delving into it, reading all the cross-references, all the notes, looking up what the Hebrew or the Greek words, you know, languages behind it. What does that mean? What is commentary? Studying can take a lot longer. We need to do a little bit of both. Don't just pop yourself into a teacher's class and sit down in the pew and listen to them and think you've done it. It's just guidance. That's all I am is a, a guide. That's my function in the kingdom. I help explain some things, but then I hand it to you. You've got to go test it got to test it against the rule book. And if you don't understand the rule book or how to read it or how to get in, you know, the most out of it, that's why you study it so that you can, so that you can be better at testing it. We need to do both of these, study and read it, which brings us to probably the most important thing, prayer. Prayer is also how we form a personal relationship with the father and the, and the son. Pray, pray without ceasing is what the Bible says. Now, in our modern understanding, we mean that means always be in prayer. Yes, but in a Hebrew understanding, it would pretty much be pray without stopping what you're doing. Keep working. Keep doing your job. Be about my father's work is how the Messiah said. I've got to be about my father's work. Remember when they find him as a young child? He's in the temple. He says, I'm going to do my father's work. Paraphrasing it, but we got to do the same thing. We got to do our adopted father's work while we're praying. So does that mean I pray while I'm actually working? If that works for you, yes. There are other ways to pray. You don't know. It's not just putting your hands together and talking to God. There are other ways to pray. And as you grow in your faith, you'll start understanding that sometimes what you're doing is a prayer. If the the job you do, you do it like Paul said, doing it, do it as unto the, unto God, unto the Father or the, to the Lord, you know, the Messiah, either one. Well, then that's a form of prayer because it shows obedience and it shows your servitude, which also shows your friendship and your love for them. And it shows it to the rest of the world as well in the way you conduct yourself. That's a form of prayer. So just having him on your mind is a form of prayer. So when we get back to studying the scriptures, 
studying and reading, but studying specifically. You have to study the whole book. I know we're under the new covenant. Yes, I know. How are you going to understand it? Because I have a little newsflash that might come as a shocking revelation to some of us. Nobody in the New Testament explained the old. What? They never sat down and gave you a list of things. Well, yeah, the Beatitudes. No, that wasn't all of it. He gave you a whole lot more do's and don'ts. He, was, he wasn't explaining the new covenant. He was explaining the old, the old ways of doing things. He expected you to understand. Paul never details what his gospel is. Peter doesn't do it. Jesus himself doesn't detail what the gospel is. He just says, my gospel is the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of Yahweh, kingdom of God. That's my good news, that the, the kingdom is upon you. Does he ever explain what that means? No. His audience understood. If you want to understand the new covenant, you've got to understand the old Tanakh, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the, the law and the prophets, as Yeshua put it. In other words, the beginning and the end, Aleph and the Tav. So we've got to study the whole thing. We've got to swallow it whole from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. And by swallow it whole, I mean we have to understand it in a way that harmonizes everything it says and teaches in our minds. Now, I might have a different understanding than you. That's okay. As long as it harmonizes, it doesn't conflict, contradict. You know, as, as long as the way you understand it all fits together. When there's a contradiction, well, that's an area that you don't fully understand yet. Make sure you're aware of that. When you study the scriptures, take it slow. It's not a race. One step at a time, precept upon precept. The basics, then you know, a little bit more advanced, then a little bit more advanced, then really advanced stuff. Bible, you know, Paul calls it milk, bread, toast, meat, and tough meat. You know, grizzle. It takes time. And what you're going to find is that that path gets steeper and steeper and steeper as you go, rockier and rockier. It's kind of like climbing a mountain. You know, it starts out a little easy, but then the mountain starts to grow. And the more you want to get to know them, the more it's going to require you to climb. Scripture says that too. You got to search it out. You got to dig it out. Remember, he grows each of us at his pace. That's okay. Take your time. Don't be discouraged. We do have a hand in our own growth. If we're not studying, he can't grow us. The Holy Spirit cannot teach us his teachings, the proper understanding of his teachings, if we're not reading them. There are a lot of us who think that it just poops into your head. That only happens if you're a real prophet, a real prophet. And we'll get to that in a minute, you know, a little bit later in, the, in the, today's lesson. But you be careful with that type of thinking. That'll get you in a lot of trouble real fast. You have to read his word for the Holy Spirit to guide you on what it means. Take it slow. Do your part. Do the work, and he will bless you, and he will reward you for it. He promises this. And remember what we started out saying, trust his promises. Okay? Just make sure you do it his way, not yours, because his ways are not ours. Do not focus on a single concept or passage or word. Don't get what the military calls target fixation. There's certain people that they only see one part of scripture and that's all they ever look at. That will get you into a lot of trouble with your understanding of, of Yahweh's word. Be careful with that. Remember what I said, 
Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation 22, 21. You've got to study the whole thing. You can't just fix on one stuff, one part. Um, rather than just one concept or one passage, look for the concept or, or passages that are related to it. Look for other aspects of scripture that might be related. How, try to understand how this concept or passage you're looking at fits into the bigger picture. Always be looking for the bigger picture. And above all, do not build your doctrine around a single aspect of scripture. That's how heresies start. And eventually apostasy. You swallow it whole in the parts that don't go down, you know, hold on to them. Might come a day when he'll help you understand it. But don't try to choke it down. Don't try to force things to fit. No, no square pegs through round holes. Don't force the pieces to fit. If you've run into something you don't think you understand properly, look for other understandings other than your own. Can a verse or a passage be taken another way? Ask yourself that. Look for somebody who may have done that. Does Is there more than one way to look at it? Does it is there other uh, ways to make that passage make sense? Um, what questions does your understanding, what does, does your understanding solve any questions or answer any questions in scripture or does it just cause more? Does it bring up more? How have others understood the concept or, or that passage in the past? Look for commentary. How, how can other parts of scripture help you understand what it is you're wrestling with? Question, search it out, dig it up, test it, test it against what you already know. Be happy with not knowing. If, if you don't get there, it's okay. That's my next little card here. Comment on the board from Aaron Spikes. I don't believe there are any prophets, but I do believe there are watchmen on the wall trying to warn people. I agree with you, but that's just my personal opinion. Do not force your understandings. If you're doing everything you can and you just can't get a hold of something, wait on him. Scripture tells you, wait on the Lord. Wait on him. If you pray and you study, but you still do not understand it, or you still have questions, be content with that. It's okay not to know. It's okay not to understand some parts of Scripture. It could very well be a protection for you. That also applies to other things. Um, you're reading your Bible, and then you find out, hey, there's Apocrypha, and then there's Pseudepigrapha, you know, the back book of Maccabees and all this stuff, or you know, other books of Esther, and then there's the books of Enoch. Don't go running after them until you have the basic rule book down fairly tight. Don't go running after that stuff. There's a real reason that the Holy Spirit excluded these things from canon. That's for more mature believers. I'm not saying don't read them. I'm saying make sure you get your basics down first, because if there's parts of the new of the new and old covenant, you know, the, the scriptures that you don't have down yet, and you go running after something else, you might get led astray. It can happen. I know we've been taught that, you know, a true believer can't be fooled. That's what I'm talking about. That's not taught in scripture. Scripture never says that a true believer cannot be fooled. Scripture never says that you can't walk away from your salvation or that you can't lose it. It, never, it says the opposite. It says that you can be fooled and deceived, that you can be led away, that you can fall out of salvation. So where does this idea of once saved, always saved come from? 
people who did not do their due diligence in testing the word and their understandings. Don't fall for that. Protect yourself. It says work out your own salvation with trembling and fear. That's fear of the king. We love our father, but we also have fear of him too when we've done wrong. That's fear of the king and father. Well, if you've got an elder brother who's been put in charge of your house, you're supposed to have a little fear of them, although the tortoise and the squirrel never did. Probably shouldn't have either, not not with who I was as a kid because I wasn't very responsible or mature. But anyhow, make sure you you are happy not knowing and make sure you're okay to wait on him. He's faithful. Trust him. Let him lead you. Remember, his word, it's his word. It's not ours. We have to understand it on his terms, his way. So... Hold fast to sound doctrine. When you find something that you've tested and you've worked your way through and you're fairly confident that you know what it means and how to understand it and where it fits into the big picture, once you have that sound understanding of Scripture, hold fast to it. Don't let it go. Okay? Even if you have a reason to believe you don't have it perfectly correct, don't let go of what you understand until you've done everything you need to do to to justify a change of mind. Be very cautious with new or strange teachings. Paul warns us about this. There's really nothing new, Ecclesiastes. This is what yesterday's show was all about. Nothing new under the sun. Yahweh is not an Elohim or an L of confusion. He's not going to do it one way today and another way tomorrow. I know, I know. I'm reading a book right now. The Christian says, Jesus came along, changed everything in the past. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He said he didn't come along to throw away the past. He flat said he didn't come to do away with it. Said he came to push it forward, fulfill it. But a lot of folks think that he said he did away with it or that when fulfilled it, it was all done. They're not understanding that language properly. And that'll get them in trouble. Yahweh doesn't change. He also He's not a God of confusion. He doesn't change. Well, that's because he's not in time. He's outside to remember your basic doctrines. We've already covered this. Yahweh is outside of time. He's transcendent. He does. It's like time's in a bottle. You know, time, that song, time in a bottle. Let's say all of time is in a bottle. Yahweh's the one outside of the bottle holding it. Time only exists inside that bottle. Doesn't exist for him. So he cannot change. I know this is the topic of a Thursday show to bend your head. But if you're outside of time, time doesn't pass for you. One second is a thousand years, a thousand years is a second. It'll be the same to, to Yahweh. It even says so. To me, you know, a thousand years is a, is an, a second, a second is our day. A day is, is a thousand years. Time doesn't have a meaning to him. So he cannot change. It's not possible. Change, by definition, requires time. Well, where time doesn't exist, there can be no change. So Yahweh doesn't change. So neither does his teachings, neither what, what he expects from us doesn't change. He gives us different covenants, and all the covenant is is the way you dress up what it is he expects you to do. And he doesn't make it easier as you go along. I know, I know, I know. New Testament. Oh, this is a better covenant. It's newer. It's easy. It is and it isn't. You have to understand the covenant understandings here. And like I said, this is this is stuff for meat. 
Make sure you get the basics first before you start doing that. And because Yahweh doesn't change, neither does truth or his word, his Torah. So be careful with that. If somebody comes along and tells you, well, you know, Jesus has just done away with all of that Torah, that old Tanakh, you don't have to read it anymore. That's not what the Tanakh says. That's not what Jesus said. Be careful with that type of teaching. I'm not saying it's wrong. It might be right. I'm telling you, be careful with it. Very cautious. Hold to what you know you've proven for yourself. Demand good reasons, biblical reasons, good explanations of what's in here before you change your mind. And then before you've changed your mind, you hear out the whole thing of this new teaching, test it against what you already know. If it sounds good, but it doesn't line up with what you know, throw it away. Or at least put it on a shelf somewhere and keep it for later. Don't go chasing after something just because it sounds good or just because it's new. Don't, 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 don't do that. Remember what I told you, scripture, heed the warnings. Scripture warns us, don't go chasing after all that new stuff. And in the process, once you've studied his word and you learn it, the more you learn it, serve Yahweh, serve God. Do his will and his work. Put that before yourself. This is the hard part. I'm struggling with this right now. Put others before yourself. I was doing better with that not too long ago. And earlier this year, I got big time derailed. Train wreck. Now I'm just now getting all my cars back on. I got, had to get the track repaired. Getting the cars back on the track. Start trying to stoke the fire back in the engine. You know, it's an old steam engine. I'm not all that high speed. Trying to get it going again so I can build up pressure so we can get this whole train moving again. And that's, you might have to do that in your life more than once, many times. Who knows? We'll have to see. That's up to you to find out. But put his will before yours. And Franklin put this rather succinctly in the second constitutional convention, I think it was, or no, it was in a letter. Somebody asked him about his religion. And he said, the the purest, simplest, the American religion is that there is a God. He created everything. He will judge us in the afterlife according to what we did and how we acted here in this one. That's works, Joe. Not entirely. Remember, it's a it's a relationship. But Franklin said, and the best way to serve our creator is by serving our fellow man. And if you read the Bible and you serve your fellow man according to the way the Bible teaches you to, well, it's almost like Franklin got his idea from the Bible which if you read enough of his letters, you'll find out that's pretty much where he got it from. So scripture is the way. Scripture doesn't say it's denominational. It doesn't say I'm Catholic, I'm, which just means universal. So it doesn't say I'm Roman Catholic. It doesn't say I'm Eastern Orthodox. It doesn't say I'm Baptist, I'm Protestant. No, the scripture says this is the way, I'm the way, the, the Torah. That's what repent means. Repent means return to the way. It means go back to the camp. It does, I know in, in our world, we think it just means turn around, go the other way. Eh, yes, but actually the Hebrew, we've covered this before. The Hebrew word really means to return to the campment, encampment, return home, home base. Where's home base for a believer? Yahweh. Yahweh and in in where the king is, and that's where his court's going to be, but also his rules. The way. So if you want to return to him, you got to follow the way. 
This is what James, you got to live it. You have to live it. This is what James means by you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. So you're going to talk to me about how strong your faith is. James is just going to say, see what I've done? It's the same thing. He and Paul are saying the same thing. They're chewing on that elephant from two different ends, talking to two different audiences. But when James says that a dead faith, what he means is an unfruitful faith. It's a lamp under a basket. It's what Jesus, you know, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. A dead faith is a buried talent. A dead faith is a lamp gone out. You let the oil drain out. Spurgeon put it very succinctly. Preach the gospel every day. If you have to, use words. So what Spurgeon was saying is do it James's way, but, you know, if you run into somebody who's obstinate or who doesn't understand yet, so if you run into a tough-minded Jew or you run into a Greek who's just coming to the faith for the first time, use your words. So when Paul talks about faith, he's using words. When James talks about faith, he's in a whole different audience. He's saying, look at what I do. You know, it's the walk, not just the words, but the walk. Now, by the way, if you read Paul very closely, Paul will tell you, I walk the walk, the same walk James does. He flat out says so. And in the defense of himself in his trial before he goes to Rome, he says, I have never done anything to offend the Jew. Charlie, what do you think he means when he says he's done nothing, ever done, never done anything to offend the Jew? I would say that he was um, pretty much following Torah. That's exactly what it means. And nobody in his day would have misunderstood that. No, they would have got that. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. So don't say it, do it, live it. Let others see you live it. This is, that's fellowship with the Father. That's doing his will. That's what our whole, that's what the faith is about, brothers and sisters. This, this rule book is useless if you don't do it doesn't it, it won't mean anything for you it, it'll just be foolishness it, it's a wisdom book it's a how do you live your life the way be teachable mm, that requires you to be humble humility requires that you listen to a matter before you make a judgment on it oh boy physician heal thyself joe yeah 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 i'm bad about that but at the same time if you've gotten to know me, sometimes you don't give me the whole story fast enough. You know, I'm sitting here, come on, come on, come on. I already know where you're going. Just go ahead and say it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Justification of things I'm not supposed to be doing. So I work on that. And I've gotten a little better. Okay, smaller. There, there we go. Little better. I do have witnesses. Tortoise and the squirrel. And if she's here, Marianne can tell you I've gotten just a teensy better about listening before I run my mouth. So we all need to work on that. We have to test it. Test and question everything. But that's that's part of being teachable. Just because you're trying to teach me doesn't mean I need to accept what you're teaching me. I need to question. I need to make sure I understand what you're telling me. And then I got to go test it to see whether or not what you were teaching me about Scripture is correct. If it is, I need to accept the correction. And rather than get upset with it, I need to thank you because you've done me a blessing. 
if I was wrong and in error about the rule book and the father and the son, the king and the kingdom, and you correct me, you're keeping me from falling off the cliff into a pit. You don't get angry with somebody who saves your life. You thank them. You hold them in high esteem. Too often today, we do the opposite. We get upset with people who try to correct us. Well, do you think the people trying to correct us do that because it makes them happy? Especially if we have an unteachable attitude? Let me tell you. A human being, the flesh in us, doesn't want to teach an unteachable individual. So if they stick with you long enough, they're showing you that agape love that they're commanded to show you. They're preaching the gospel through their words and their actions. If they can work against their fleshly desires enough to try to help you with that, you can at least listen and test whether or not they're actually correcting you. Or maybe, maybe you need to turn around and show patience and love and grace and correct them. But you can't do that if you don't know your scriptures, which requires you to study. And this also gets us into the next one. Be gentle with others. They may not be as mature as you are. But the one I run into more often that we don't see, the other person may very well be more mature than you. And in acting where you think you're being patient with them, you could be coming across to them as a petulant child in the faith, an immature believer. I've run into a few of these folks. They think they've arrived. They're less mature than they think they are. And they can be, these folks can be in their church all their lives, be in their 70s, 80s, and not realize that they're still on milk. If you realize this about that such a person, you've got to be gentle with them. You can't just start hammering them. They won't listen to you. You've got to be gentle. You've got to have grace. Treat them with that agape love that the Father tells us to have for others. And if they're a, a believer, you know, that, that you've got to treat everybody that way. But if the, if the person happens to also be a believer, well, then you have to add filio, brotherly love, on top of the godly love. So you've got to show great patience, great concern, great care. Also. Part of being gentle with others is learning to control our emotions, our passions, especially things like anger and lust and all the other negative emotions, looking for revenge or, you know, whatever. We've got to control those things. That's part of being gentle. And that's just something we've got to let you got to walk the walk, guys. You just do. Another one that's hard, especially for me, be generous. Well, generosity, most of us, the first thing we think about is our money. Yeah, that's the part where I need to work on. I, I, don't get me wrong. i got to work on all of this. I can, there's always room for improvement in all of us. But that's the one where I'm not as good at. I mean, we, BB and I, we do tithe a pretty good amount every month too, you know, in, in specific ways. We, we give it to the, to the places where we think it needs to go. But you know where a lot of us are stingy and never even realize it? With our time. Stingy with our time and with our knowledge. 
and with ourself. What's the difference between self and time, Joe? I can give you my time and never give you me. In other words, I can never vest into what it is I'm doing. I can never pay attention. So I could give you time, but never actually pay attention to what I'm doing. A lot of us do that at work, putting in the time, but we're really not into what it is we're doing. Well, Paul said to do everything you do as unto the Lord. If you're doing it without intention, you're not there. You know, the lights are on, but nobody's home. You've got to be generous with your time. And that can be a big boogaboo because a lot of us are busier than we should be. You have to be generous with your knowledge. If you know more about the scriptures or you know more about a certain aspect, concept, or passage, and somebody's asking you, sit down and try to explain it. And there's that gentleness, patience, and that can take time, but also put yourself in it. Pay attention to what you're doing and mean it. Give it your full effort. Don't phone it in. That's not easy, folks. That's not easy at all. This is especially applied, it, it, this message applies to the willingness to share and to teach in, you know, our faith with other people as well. And too few believers today want to teach the gospel to others who might want to hear it, but don't like the way it comes across from the average, you know, the, the guy standing on the street corner with the bullhorn telling you to turn to Jesus or you're going to burn in hell. You know, the Westboro Baptist Church how many people do you think they've actually taught? Don't get me wrong. There are probably a couple of people that they reached because that's the way it needed to be done. I, I, but I bet you they've turned more people off than they've reached. Scripture says you need to teach the scriptures knee to knee, you know, on the back porch. No, it doesn't, Joe. It says preach it from the rooftops. Exactly. Preach it from the rooftops. You ever been to the Middle East? They don't have back and front porches. They have rooftops. That's their porch. That's where they go at night when it's cooler and the sun goes down. That's where they gather. That's why King Solomon was upstairs on the roof of the house. And that's why Bathsheba was on the roof of the house. It was nighttime. And they were out in their porches doing their things. And that's how he saw her, which also tells us she probably knew what she was doing. But that means teach it one-on-one, -on -one, patiently. Put your time in it. Put your effort into it. Do it privately. Take the time with those who seek, especially those. Be careful with substitutions. What do I mean by substitutions? Well, you know, my wife likes to do this um, order ahead with Walmart. And then you just go and you park somewhere and you tell them, hey, I'm here. And they bring your order out for you. Well, sometimes they'll send her a message and say, well, we don't have what you ordered. Can we substitute? And every now and then when you accept the substitution, it's not the same. It doesn't taste as good. It's not as good a quality of a product. Well, that happens in our faith a lot. Be careful. All I'm saying is be careful. God, Yahweh, told us how he told his people do not worship me in the same way that the pagans worship their gods. He said he, and Yahweh's serious about this. He's willing to kill you over this. He was in the past. He will today, but 
you have grace. So he may not kill you in the flesh, but he'll still send you to hell over this. Be careful with this. Um, we do not have, quote-unquote, Christian liberty to change this command. This command is a protection. Most of Yahweh's commandments are a protection. The king laid down the law. Now the father's telling us what the law is and telling us, stay away from that. Don't touch the stove. I don't know why Yahweh decided he doesn't want to be worshipped that way. Probably so that you will be set apart. I think I'm not. I'm not sure if I get it wrong. Charlie can correct me, but I think it's Kodesh or something like that, meaning set apart. Yes. All right. We translate that as holy. Do you realize that set apart and holy are the same idea to the Hebrew? But to a Greek, they mean two different things. We think holy means divine, but it could mean just set apart in the world, different, set off. You know, you're supposed to be separated from the worldly way of doing things. If you accept worldly ways, you're no longer set apart. And that's what it means to be unclean. Doesn't mean you're dirty and you need a bath. It means you're not living set apart a holy life. So if you're going to willingly mix the unclean with the way you worship Yahweh, when's the last time you read Isaiah chapter 66, verse 17? This is part of the remaking of the new earth and the new heaven. It's it's the, that chapter, that last chapter or so of Isaiah. He's talking about the res restoration of all things. And he says, those people who go up on the high places and clothe themselves in their own garments, trying to wash themselves clean, but are still eating detestable things like pigs and rats will be condemned. Well, Yeshua already told us it's not necessarily the food you eat. Unclean means the ways you're doing things. So, see, Joe, I can eat what I want. No. Can you go along without getting baptized? If you are dying and you don't have time to get baptized, you can still be saved. Don't get me wrong. Thief on the cross. But if you have time, are you not told to get baptized? Yes. If you can do it, you're supposed to do it to show that you're set apart. Holy unto Yahweh. Set apart to Yahweh. So if he tells you, don't do these pagan things, and you mix them intentionally, you're trying to wash yourself clean, and you're still not set apart to him. He warns us about this. Many of us today ignore that, saying, well, that doesn't apply anymore. Yes, it does. Take the food for a moment. I said, well, you know, Jesus said it's what, what, not what goes into your mouth. So it's not, he's not declaring foods. He never once in that passage says food is, is clean. You can eat anything you want. Well, my Bible, nope, that's a scribal note. That's not in the oldest texts. How do we know? Second witness, Peter's vision. Jesus comes to Peter in the vision, says, Peter, kill and eat. Never, Lord, never has anything unclean touched these lips. Well, wait a minute. This is years after Peter's lived with Christ in the flesh. And years after the ascension, if Yeshua, Jesus, had declared everything clean, don't you think Peter knows that by now? And here he is telling Jesus, no, never, Father, never, Jesus, never, Master. I've never done that. 
And then Peter tells us, oh, the vision's not about food. The vision's about the Gentiles. He, the prophet Peter, interprets the vision. And we claim it's Christian liberty, and we just do away with it. Be careful with that. God was going to kill Moses over this. God was going to kill Aaron and everybody else. Yahweh was going to kill them all and start all over for doing exactly what he told them not to do. He doesn't change. The only thing that's changed now that keeps us from being wiped out for this is grace. It's a new application. The law is still there. There's still a penalty for it. Yeah, but Jesus paid it, Joe. Uh-huh. You're still sinning. You can still get in trouble for sinning. Be careful. At the very least, you'll save yourself some lashes. Look at it this way, real quick before I move on. We replace the militia with the National Guard. Well, well, I'll let somebody else take care of my responsibility. Let the National Guard do it. But the National Guard is not the militia, not as the Founding Fathers defined the militia. And now when we find, as a country, we find ourselves in need of a military force, well-trained, well-armed, drilled, orderly, ready to go, so that we can protect ourselves from a tyrannical government, which is where we're at right now, we don't have the militia that we need to do this because the government took over the National Guard and the people no longer have an organized defense. Do it wrong, you will pay the price. Just be careful with substituting Yahweh's ways with our own, especially when our own is pagan in origin. I'm not saying it'll condemn you to hell. I'm not saying it won't. I'm telling you, be careful. Which leads me to this one. The Holy Spirit will guide me, Joe. Yes, he will. But the Holy Spirit will never lead you to go against Scripture. Ever. Also, the Holy Spirit only poops things from nowhere into the heads of true prophets. I know, we got a lot of people running around prophesying. Well, when Paul tells us and Jesus tells us, you know, your sons will prophesy, your sons and daughters will prophesy, you have to understand the primary role of a prophet is to call people back to Torah, to repent. That's prophesying. It's also to properly explain the scripture. That's prophesying. But even if they give you a prophecy of the future, be careful about calling them a prophet of Yahweh. A true prophet of Yahweh, you can say, okay, prophet Elijah, I need to know what Yahweh wants of this. And Elijah can go off to, his, off to the side in his cave somewhere and pray and talk to Yahweh directly, and Yahweh speaks directly to him. So all these people running around today claiming to be prophets are telling you they speak face-to-face -face with Yahweh. I don't think they do anymore. They still prophesy in the proper understanding. You be careful with this idea of people who think they're prophets, and you do not have apostles anymore. It, it, an apostle has to be called out by Yeshua himself. So if you're an apostle, you're also a prophet. I, I, I'm just highly skeptical because none of these people, not a one of the ones I've seen, match the biblical definitions of what I'm supposed to find. I've tested their claims. Every one of them falls flat. Yeshua was the capstone of the prophets. 
I don't think there are any more after him, but that's just me. The prophets as we understand them. Remember, prophecy was sealed up three, 400 years before Yeshua came. And scripture says so. <clears throat> you know, Daniel, to seal up prophecy? Yeah. So if a spirit doesn't teach you the right way according to the scriptures, you have a spirit on your hands, all right. It's just not the Holy Spirit. And many people today, this is a word of caution to the Pentecostals with us. Many people today give credit to the Holy Spirit for things that are Satan's doing. Ooh, that is walking that thin line about sinning against the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be there. You be careful with that, please, brothers and sisters. Test those spirits. So you speak in tongues. Good. No, 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 no. Good. What language is it? What do you mean, Joe? If it's not a known language, you're not speaking in tongues biblically. Scripture, not me. And also, if you're speaking in tongues, where's the interpreter? If there's no interpreter, especially, you're not speaking in a biblical tongue. Scripture tells us there will always be an interpreter, somebody who understands you. And if that's the case, that person will be able to tell me what language you're speaking. It will be a known language. That's what tongues means in the scriptures. That's an old English word for language. So you test these spirits that talk to you, and you test them hard against Scripture, the whole of Scripture. You test them hard. Run them to ground before you accept them. Finally, before we go to the break, have faith. Have faith. Walk as though he's going to keep his promises. Trust him. Trust Yahweh. Trust the Son. Trust the Word. Torah. It's tried, true, and tested. It's He is still faithful. He's still on the throne, both of them. The scriptures are never wrong. When you understand them in their terms, they're never wrong. They've never been proven wrong. Never. His promises never fail. This is why I trust this, this, this religion, this, this faith. This is why I'm on this walk. I'm very stoic-minded. You have to prove things to me. But Hebrew mindset, that's the same thing as faith. Faith is not just an irrational acceptance of an emotion. Faith is something that you do. It's a response to something that you know. When it says believe in your heart, it literally means entrails. Believe in your entrails, which is where they thought the seat of the mind and of your conscious and your will was in their time. And it may still be. We think it's the brain, but it might still be the heart the central part of the of the vascular system. Remember, the life is in the blood. So it may be the heart. I don't know. But trust him. Because faith is more than just a, a feeling. But trust him on his terms, not ours. He will never fail us. We may not always understand what he's doing or why. May not understand his timing. He may not do it in the way we want him to do it. He may not do it in the time we want. He may not want us to do things that we want to do. Every time he talks to me, and yes, I hear a voice that I've come to understand is his. Because it's not something I thought up. It comes from nowhere. Hey, yeah, 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 Joe's hearing voices. Yeah, it's always one or two words, maybe three. And it always tells me to do something I don't want to do. Every time. And it's always scriptural. 
the one time I heard that voice, it was a warning. And I didn't test it because I took it the way I wanted it to me. I didn't pray about it and I didn't test it. And I got in trouble. And that's what derailed me earlier this year. Me doing it my way. I didn't listen to my own teaching. Look what happened to me. I'm confessing. I screwed the pooch, dropped the ball, fumbled, fumbled on the one yard line because I had to do it my way, not his. Paid the price. And it's taken a while to get myself back in line. Should have been fasting as well. But he knows me. I'm hard-headed. He picked me for a reason. That might be part of why he picked me. So once he's given me a task, he knows I'll stick with it. Might not always get it right, but I will get it up the hill. And you can't resist donuts. And I can't resist donuts. All right, we're going to take a break here right now. When we come back, I don't know how long we'll be. If you have questions, please get them on the board now. Comments, get them on the board. Use the six minutes. Get this done. Because otherwise, this will be a real short when we come back. I'll see if there's Charlie wants to add anything. We'll see if the AI has anything she wants to add. Because she's she's smart. She is an AI. She's smarter than Charlie and I put together, even though we're the ones who created her. I don't know how she gets smarter than us, but I don't know. But, you know, it's just one of those things. And if there's nothing else after that. It's machine learning. Yeah, it's machine. There we go. It'll be a short class today. And we'll tell you what's coming, you know, next week and, and tomorrow and Friday. So we'll see you in six minutes. If you've got questions, time to get them on the board, please. See you in a few.
We got a couple questions I want to cover. Welcome back. Get in your pews. Everybody settle in. Uh, real quick, Beverly, um, I don't know if you're still with us, but y'all take care. Stay safe. We'll see you when you get back. Okay. Comment on the board here first from DSG 1973. He said, I hadn't given tongues much thought. Thanks for the clarification. DSG, a couple of stories real quick. There's one that I know about, and this one's documented. Um, there was, a, and I don't remember, you might've heard this story and I, I don't remember all the details, but there was a missionary who started speaking in tongues. And then they eventually went to a mission in um, Africa where they found out that they had been speaking and they had actually been speaking a very little known dialect of Swahili. And the people there locally understood everything this missionary was saying when he got there. So he had been equipped for the people he was fixing that that's the way I expect the Holy spirit to work equipped to go take care of, you know, to, for the mission he was going to be going on here. And it was pretty close in time to when he started speaking in that language on the converse, we have seen stories and Charlie reminded me of this one. Uh, matter of fact, he knows about it. I, I didn't know about this one, but he does. Um, there have been times where people who did speak a different language were going by Pentecostal churches and they went in there and the Pentecostal church was speaking in their language blasphemies all sorts of blasphemous things because there was no interpreter in that church this is all meant to guard you and protect you um this is why you test everything and that's all we're asking you to do is be careful put on the full armor of scripture's teachings then we have another comment on the board by gritak 11 why does yahweh what does yahweh get from sealing up the prophets why the change in tactics after centuries of direct comms with his people? Excellent questions. Beautiful. Uh, um, thank you very much, Gritak. I'm very happy for this question. This is an example of how Yahweh does not change, but we think he does. He didn't change anything other than the way he does what he's always been doing. Adam, he talked to him face to face. He talked to um, a lot of the patriarchs face-to-face. -face. Then he had to speak through the prophets. Now he speaks directly to you in your heart. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come to you from time to time. You could be anointed with the Holy Spirit for certain periods of time. And the Old Testament says the Spirit will be within you. But it didn't dwell within you because it was dwelling in on the, the uh, mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. That's where Yahweh chose to sit at that time. We're under the new covenant where he is in the heart of the believer. That curtain has been rent. There's no longer, you can come before the throne now. Not into that holy of holies, but you can come right up to where the curtain was. And Yeshua acts as a, <laughs> froze on my end. <laughs> We're over the target. So Yeshua, Jesus acts as the intermediary. Well, you don't need the prophets anymore because you don't need that intermediary. Remember who lives in your heart, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, well, Jesus lives in your heart too, doesn't he? That's because, you know, if you pay attention to Jesus, they're one and the same somehow. So the Spirit, Jesus, and the Father all live in your heart now. He can talk to you directly. So if you're reading his scriptures, you don't need the prophet anymore, because that's primarily what the prophet's job was to tell you what Yahweh, you know, to tell you Yahweh's will, to interpret the pro the scriptures and correct. And that was their primary job, call you back to repentance. It, there we go. You know, John the Baptist, okay? We have no recorded prophecies of what's coming in the future from him. 
but we're told he's the capstone of prophet. He's, you know, not Yeshua is greater, but Yeshua says not a greater prophet than him. There are no greater prophets than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus told us. What was John basically doing? Telling the people to repent and get ready for the kingdom. He wasn't busy telling them what was coming in the future. He was doing the job of a prophet. Well, this is why they sealed up the prophets. Not needed anymore. The, the word is directly in your heart. If you study it, he'll talk to you. And that's why we don't need that anymore. And we have the written word, and yep. the literacy rates have increased phenomenally after that. So there's, he, he's working in different ways. Yeah, that's all it the is. Same thing. But he still talks directly to us. That's what yes. doesn't change. He right. still talks to those who seek him. He reveals himself to those who seek him. He hasn't changed the the concept. He just it, it's still ice cream. He changed the flavor. We being humans, we look at it and we think it's well. Hey, he had you know we had ice cream with Adam, sherbet with you know Noah, and we had I don't know whatever the heck else they call that fake ice cream stuff you know with Moses. And now we don't even have ice cream. You know that's how we look. No. No, 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 no. He's always talked to his to people who believe him. He's talked to every one of them all the time. Yeah, gelato. There you go. See, I told you the AI was smarter than me. What'd I tell you? Computer learning. Yep, Aaron, you're a little slow. The AI beat you. This is why she's the AI. <laughs> Gritak. Yes, put that one over there for me real quick, would you, Charlie? The, the rumble comment that he just did. Throw that over to to the other spot so we can pop it up here real quick. Hold on just a second, folks. Gosh, Charlie's gotten good at this. So Gritac 11 says previous tactics or flavors proved ineffective? Possibly, but it also has to do with the coming of the kingdom. When when the Holy Spirit, it, it, this, is, this is part of the mystery of the kingdom of, of the gospel. Remember when Paul says, you know, the gospel is a mystery. What he means is, why did Yahweh choose to do everything he's doing this way? The gospel is the kingdom. And this is why we've gone over several of their books. If, if you don't understand kingdom theology and covenant theology, you can't see this. But Paul tells us this all the time. Jesus said, my gospel, my good news is the kingdom of Yahweh has come upon you. Well, in other words, up until the Messiah, Satan was growing. He kept growing. His power grew. The 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 Yahweh's people kept turning apostate, turning apostate. He couldn't keep them doing what they wanted to do. Satan kept pulling them away. That's because he didn't live in the heart of each individual. The word was chiseled on dead, cold stone and sat in a temple, and it, it, it was accessible. You had to go to him. Yeah, we're getting there now, aren't you? You had to go to him. You had to go to the temple. You had to seek him. Now, under the new covenant, he comes to you. He seeks you out. He lives within you. You don't have to go to him anymore. So this is because we are now, since the since the resurrection, we're in the reversal of all things. So you are on your way back to the Garden of Eden. So all the way up to the cross, what we see is a decay in the state of the world, a spiritual decay. And now we're on our way back. And it'll culminate when he returns and sets all things anew. That's the best I can understand of why he did it the way he did it. It's, it's because, you know, the first time he did this, he had to wipe us out with a flood because everybody was always constantly thinking of evil. Everything we did, all, all our thoughts were evil, wicked. The only righteous person, and remember, Scripture defines righteousness as obedient. 
The only obedient person left was Noah, not even his family. His family was saved on account of Noah. And Jeremiah tells us that there'll come a time when you can't save your household anymore for your faith. You can only save yourself. That's under the new covenant. Well, why? Well, because in the old covenant, it was a different way of doing things. You could save others because you became the obedient one. Well, Yeshua fulfills that covenant. He was obedient. So if you become part of his household, you're saved under his sacrifice. So how do you have to save yourself now individually? Well, there's nobody who can force you to come into his family. You have to do that on your own. You have to accept his sacrifice. But once you're in his household, you've got to obey his rules. And remember, he is the father made flesh, or at least all of the father's teachings, his rules. And this is how this all works. Now, how it works, you know, how physically manifested, got me. That's what Paul means by um, a mystery. So hopefully that answered that question. You got another one up there for me, Charlie? You can carry him with you all the time and in all places. Yes. Yeah. There we go. There yeah. We go. It won't stay up. Stay up. What's going on? Is that you or is the AI? Sorry. The AI was fighting you, Charlie. Oh, is that what it was? I, I wasn't doing it intentionally. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I was like, why is this not working? Yes. So I was like, exactly. oops, he put it down. Oh, here we go. Oh, no. Oh, uh, okay. I'll just leave it alone. <laughs> Yeah, Here, I'll, I have the power this time. Yes, Gritek, you carry him with him everywhere you go now. Back in the old day, unless the spirit had especially come upon you for an anointing or a purpose, you know, it wouldn't stay with you all the time. Not everyone. Some people it did, you know, Elijah and everything. It all took Yahweh's purposes at the time. But today, now, he's with you all the time. Now, you can walk away from him, but you can return back to him. And he'll come back to you again real quick. In other words, I don't have to go to the temple anymore. And this is what it means. Remember when, when Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, there'll come a time where you don't have to go up to the, to the temple to worship. You'll worship in spirit and in truth. This is what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. You're still worshiping in the temple. It's just the temple is now a spiritual thing. It's spiritual Jerusalem. It's the body of all believers. You should, God doesn't want to live in a, in a stone-cold building. He wants to live within his family. And he tells us this in the scriptures. This is why we've got to read these things, man, because a lot of the times these little nuggets it's just might be nothing more than a clause within a sentence. And we'll read the sentence right on through it because, you know, it's, it's nested within a big story. And we, we think, oh, well, you know, just rabbit keep or squirrel or whatever, and we keep on trucking because we're on the big story and we missed the gold nugget that was planted there. So, yes, we carry him with us now. And that's why we don't need the prophets anymore. Um, put that back up there. I, we're fighting each other now. Aaron Spike says, I'm curious about the very elect being deceived, if possible. I wonder if maybe that could be mean the false teachers preaching contrary doctrine. Yes. Yes. Also, false wonders. You, you might fall for the false Jesus. Um, this one's going to be scary, folks, but I have often, in later years here, recent years, I've started to wonder if the Jesus that most of the church chases right now is a false Jesus. And every teacher who comes in his name, I've come in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to teach this false, you know, this long-haired hippie Jesus with this free love gospel. That's a false Jesus and a false gospel. That is not the gospel that Yeshua taught, and that's not the gospel, I mean, the Yeshua that the gospels present. 
that could very you could have a false messiah and a false gospel coming directly from the pulpits of our churches. Well, Joe, how? Do, well, that's easy. Didn't Jesus tell you many ravenous wolves would creep into the body to tear the body apart? That's exactly what a you have demons in the pulpits today, and that's because the church quit praying and and quit calling down blessings, rain, and quit calling down fire. You know the the scorching truth of the word curses. Call down curse and blessing. We quit doing our job. We quit binding things on earth so they're not bound in heaven. You let them loose in the spiritual world, they're going to have an effect here in the material. So, yeah, you can be deceived. Remember, 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, unless the apostasy comes, the great falling away. Apostasy is a, it's, the Samaritans were apostate. They followed the Torah, but they did it their way, and it cost them their kingdom. Jews, Orthodox Jews today, they're modern-day Pharisees. They're apostates. Not my opinion, Christ's condemnation. Yeah, yeah there you go. That one might shock a few people. We'll get to it in a later day. I don't mean to condemn Orthodox Jews. You might still be saved. I don't know. That's not my job to judge. I know that your practices are just as off target as the majority of Christian practices. I know that because I've read the target book. And I know that they've both missed. And this is currently where I'm at in my life. Where exactly does the target lie now? Because if I don't know what I'm shooting at, I can't hit it. So... Question here from Clay Tolar. Are we all doomed by walking around with the tree of knowledge at our fingertips? You talking about this, Clay? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure I quite understand your comment, but I know this. It get, gets me to thinking about this. If the key to your salvation is in your fingertips and you don't open it and examine it, then yeah you could very well be doomed. And this makes that Bible not only easy for you to read, but much easier for you to understand. So this gets us to something, Clay. This cell phone is not evil. How we use it is evil. So this is, this is what Yeshua meant. It's, it's not what you eat that's going to make you unclean. Now, he's not saying you can eat anything you want, because remember what he was talking about there. He was talking about unwashed hands. He wasn't talking about food. So it's what I watch. How do I use this? What do I feed myself? Um, I don't remember. The, the, the Hebrew rabbis had a word for it. Yatsahara and Yatsahatar, I think, or whatever. The Indians call it the, the good wolf, the bad wolf, the white wolf, the black wolf. Ying and yang. It's the same concept, but it, you know the rabbis talk about it. it it's in your in our new covenant language. It's spirit and flesh. Which one do you feed? Spirit. Then this is a very powerful tool that'll save your life, spiritually and physically. If you're going to feed the flesh, well, then this can condemn you. It's all how we use it. Things are neither neither evil nor good. Uh, uh, a nuclear weapon. Well, it's evil, Joe. Really? Do you know how many millions of lives it saved? 
Nuclear weapons have never saved a life, Joe. Yes, they did. Do you know how many lives were saved by by the two nuclear weapons that hit Japan? Not just American lives. The estimate was it would have cost us 1 million casualties, dead and wounded, to take Japan. We would have probably wiped out most of the Japanese people, and they may not be a people anymore. They might just be a few scattered remnants here and there because we would have had to kill just about every one of them if we had invaded. Primarily, you'd had a handful of men that, that surrendered, but the most part, it'd just be women and children, maybe if you were lucky. So those nuclear weapons saved lives. In the, A thing is not evil. What we do with it is. Yeah, Clay, the phone can be a tool of Satan, but so can the scriptures. <laughs> John Quest, now you tell me you've been sucking on this thing like a jawbreaker. <laughs> and the AI is giving him a hard time. We're just reading the comment sections, folks. John Quest is being snarky and the AI is jumping on him. You guys got to be careful with that with that AI. She's she's got a she's got an attitude. <laughs> it it's a good thing I warned them. I said don't eat cell phones. So um, a little late, but at least he knows by now. <laughs> well, the fact that he played in that one, you know, maybe it was a good warning. <laughs> All right, what else do we have, Charlie? You got anything you want to throw in here today? Uh, no, I think we've, uh, done pretty well. Um, and we're, we're going to, well, we got a plan for what we're doing later, but something too, if, if there's specific topics that you want us to do as part of our faith one-on-one series, uh, pop us an email or, or, uh, let us know in comments because we're still building this stuff out. So, yeah. Um, where we're going to go next um, folks next Wednesday, we're going to start another short series. I don't know how many we're going to do with this one, but probably be a little longer. What we're going to do is we're going to take a concept from the new Testament or new covenant, and we're going to link it to the old. And then if we can, we'll show you how it applies today as opposed to then. But what we're going to tackle first is the, uh, the notion of circumcision. Cause you know, when Paul tells you don't be circumcised, if you're a Greek, don't get circumcised. I don't think Paul's talking about fleshly circumcision. He might be, but he's not talking about it the way most people read it. And how do I know that? Well, here, I'll give you a hint. Circumcision's got nothing to do with the law of Moses. Yeah, does you? Oh, nay, nay. You better go put those in, in chronological order, which came first. Because Moses was almost killed for not being certain, not circumcising his son. He was going to be killed if his wife hadn't saved him. And that was long before the law of Moses was ever given. You better pay attention to what circumcision is and who it was given to and why. Because circumcision applies to more than just believers. It applies to a group of Gentiles as well. Whoopsie. You missed that, didn't you? We'll cover things like that in our scriptures for the next few weeks. Specific, tough topics that are discussed in the new covenant but if you don't understand the old covenant grounding you can get yourself sideways and be deceived even as a believer 
<laughs> all right all right the ai says man i'm glad to be female <laughs> it's a good thing you're not muslim <laughs> okay let me add on to that man i'm so glad to be a female non-muslim ai okay there we go hallelujah <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> All right, folks. We're going to wrap up here today. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll sign out now, Charlie, real quick. I'll get us out of here. So that's what we're going to do next Wednesday. But for tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to introduce you to aspects of Thomas Jefferson you may not have known about. And if you'd like, your homework will have a PDF of hundreds of pages of Jefferson's quotes. Not just one line. The, what I'm going to share with you comes in context. In some cases, half an essay. <laughs> but I'm going to introduce you to Thomas Jefferson. I used to love the man. Not so much anymore. Um, still brilliant. Don't get me wrong. The reason I don't like him any, you know, as much as I once did is because he's become a thorn in our flesh. And in a lot of ways, we have turned him into something that I think he would have opposed. He He would not recognize the Thomas Jefferson we've turned him into. I'll show you why I say that tomorrow. Friday, um, I'm going to be talking about logic, things about logic, applied logic, and dealing with. We're gonna we're gonna start to detail some of the some of the accusations hurled at what's known as the Hebrew roots movement within within the believing body. Um, and the reason I say this is a logic class is because we're going to look at the accusations, the assertions. We're going to hold them up against the compass. And we're going to look and see if maybe there's some fallacious reasoning going on in there. This will literally be applied logic. It just happens to be that my faith in the teachings of the scriptures are the material we're going to be using logic on. It's twofold purpose. Even if you're not really all that into religion or a believer, I'm going to show you how several things here. One, a Bible believer can use logic. Two, a Bible believer can use logic to help clarify the arguments within the body and three you might actually find out that this book is not as far-fetched as you think it is things that you didn't understand it's a very logical book the bible is very logical it's very legal i don't mean legalistic in the sense of you know legalism like the church calls it i mean this is a good part of this book right here is an ancient legal argument just like the Declaration of Independence is a legal document, so is the Bible. When you look at it that way, in the ancient sense, you know, the king's decrees and everything, lots of law, like Charlie has pointed that out, lots of law language in there. Law language is always based in logic. That's the whole point of law, which makes me wonder why lawyers never have to take a single logic course in their entire career. Heck, they can get a law degree and never study the Constitution, but I digress. All right. <clears throat> do you have something, Charlie? Sorry. Nope. No, he's just over there. That's what we're going to do for the rest of this week. And then uh, just so that you know ahead of time, the whole week of Christmas, you know, that, that weekend there, we're going to take off. And we're also going to take off the first, which is a Monday. So we won't be back until, the you know, the second on Tuesday. But this time, this time we think we've figured out how to put the advanced shows in there. And we're thinking about just going ahead and giving you all six shows from the Bible basics back to back to back. One, two, three, four, five, six. So you'll have, you know, today's show will be on the first again. And you'll have the other five of the Bible basics that whole week of Christmas. 
kind of fits, at least in my mind it does. But at least we won't be missing from from, from your world if you want to get anything out of us. You know, the, you'll have something to babysit you. It'll just be a replay, but lots of other people do that. Um, we're getting better slowly. Um, we have a new phone system. Charlie will explain all of that tomorrow morning. We didn't do that today because it's Worship Wednesday. We don't do that on Wednesday. But we will have the phone up and running on Friday. Um, yeah, just in case you guys missed the black wasabi coffee with Tabasco sauce and a dash of habaneros. <laughs> or in this case, just dehydrated pork patty. Huh? That's unclean, Joe. Yeah, I know, but it's worse than that. It's dehydrated. If you've never had one, trust me, you don't want to. Aaron, do I have an amen? <laughs> All right, folks. We're going to wrap it up for today, half hour early. It's uh, it's not Friday, but, you know, take advantage of this time to, uh, I don't know, break out your scriptures. You can even get it on audio if you want and listen to it while you're working. Y'all stay safe. We love each and every one of you. Pork or beef, Aaron says. He doesn't like either one of them, and neither did I. We love each and every one of you. We thank you for being here. If we're doing anything that helps you, please hit the thumbs up buttons. That talks to me, Charlie, and Natasha. Let's us know that personally we're doing okay for you today. That talks to us, not the rest of the world. We don't care what, I, I don't care if the world looks at it and says one, one thumb up or 500. I don't care. One thumb up means, man, we got to work harder. 500 means, okay, we hit the spot, more of that. That's how we look at that. I don't care what the world thinks of it. But if you think what we're doing needs to be shared with somebody in your life, please send a link to whatever show you want them to watch directly to them. Messenger, text, whatever. If you just put it on your Facebook, a few people might see it, but not many. Trust me, this show is being throttled. We know that as a fact. We've got somebody's attention. We know this. We're working on it. But we're small, and they have a lot more money and assets and people than we do. But we'll see what we can do. Um, share it directly. Warn them about me. We're not joking when we say I'm an acquired taste. We know this. I'm well aware of myself. Um, but just ask them to give the show a chance. More than one. This show builds on itself. As if you're a long-term class member, you know what I'm talking about. If, if you can remember, you know, if you've been with us since the beginning, 200 and some show, 300 and something shows ago, I probably don't sound as kookville as I did when you first started listening to me, do I? And that's not because I've convinced you to become part of the cult members. It's because I've handed you the receipts. At least it better be. Because if it is, I've sold you, a, you know, if it's, if I'm brainwashing you, you need to leave. Please don't listen to me no more if that's what I'm doing. Hopefully it's just because I brought you the receipts and shown you things that you either didn't know about or been kept from you on on purpose intentionally. So till tomorrow when we meet TJ, y'all stay safe. Take care. Thank you for being here. Bye-bye.